Before we begin our Torah study this morning, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. I want to talk today about a message I'm calling Yeshua's Together Pattern. And I want to start this morning with a passage from the Gospel of Mark that is one of my favorites because it opens a very interesting window onto Yeshua's way of thinking and lets us see what is truly important to him. And it's a passage that I like to review each year at this time when we're reading Parshat Truma as we are this weekend. Parshat Truma or Teruma, take your choice of pronunciations describes God's call to Israel to build him a sanctuary, a dedicated space for him on earth so that he can be together with the people who want to be with him. It's a wonderful portion that always speaks to my heart and it helps me focus on issues of the highest importance. We're gonna read from that portion in a little while, but first I want to ask you to turn to Mark chapter three. And we'll start in verse 13. If you're adding scripture references to the comments, you can put Mark chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. So this describes the appointing of the 12 apostles, but it has much more in it than that. Mark 3, 13, Yeshua went up on the mountain and he summoned those who he himself wanted, and they came to him. By the way, Luke mentions a detail that's not covered here, and that is he had spent the whole night in prayer by himself prior to this. Very interesting point, I think. So Yeshua is on the mountain. He summons those that he himself wants, and they come to him. And Yeshua appointed 12 so that they would be with him. That's an important point. They would be with him and that he could send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. So Yeshua chose those that he wanted. He wanted them. They were individually important to him. He wanted to be with them. He had a desire. He wanted each of these who he called and would appoint as apostles. And he even wanted Judah, or as we call him in English, Judas, who betrayed him. It's interesting that Yeshua could have a loving desire for someone who would ultimately not be personally faithful. Yeshua wanted to be with them. He wanted them to be with him, to spend time with him, to receive from him, to join him, and to accompany him. So that, and this so that I think is very important, so that he could send them out. He had additional purposes for them. This wasn't a social club. It wasn't a clique. It was a little community with a spiritual calling called to serve the Lord and to serve together and to serve other people. And those three points of calling are worth saying again. They were called to serve the Lord. They were called to serve together. And they were called to serve others. You can make interesting combinations, all of which are useful and bring additional insight. They were called to serve the Lord together. They were called to serve other people together. They were called to serve the Lord 
by serving others. And they were called to serve the Lord, serving together and serving others. All those different combinations, every permutation is true and valid and gives us insight. And here's something that is important for us to recognize. They needed to be with Yeshua before they were sent out. You could say they could not go out if they did not spend time with Yeshua. They weren't in some academic program where they needed to read some books and write some papers, take some quizzes, pass some tests, and then graduate with a degree or certificate of completion of some sort. They were in a discipleship program, which combined community life and ministry together. The disciples couldn't go out if they didn't spend time with Yeshua and with those around him. They needed each other, and that was not an easy thing to embrace. Yeshua, of course, was at the center of their community. He brought them together, but they had to grow strong together. Some of them had existing relationships or family ties, but they were different, and Yeshua wanted to send them out with power and authority in order to minister to other people. He wanted them to be able to tell others about the Lord and also to bring other people through the barrier of separation, through the walls that keep people away. Think about some of those walls, sin, iniquity, guilt, shame, fear, ignorance and preconceived notions, sickness, closed attitudes, independence, addictions. Think yourself of what keeps people away from God. Think of what breaks people's hearts and relationships. Some of you added last night, pride, stubbornness. There are more. Think, think and come up with your own list of other things that can keep people away, because all of those things are what the disciples needed to be able to minister to. They needed to experience the love of Yeshua together so that they could share their experience with other people. And they needed to learn to love each other the way Yeshua had loved them. That's what Yeshua would later tell them. And that's how people would know these guys are really his disciples. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. If you love one another, the way I have loved you, then all will know you are my disciples. That was Yeshua's later teaching to them. And he understood this, that there were many patterns for relationships. And the Jewish world at that time was very divided politically, socially, religiously. Uh, religious denominations among the Jewish people were very exclusive and often um, hostile to each other. They judged each other. And Yeshua wanted them to learn how to live together with him as the center. The spiritual truth of the gospel was to be demonstrated through their relationships and through their actions. Yeshua's salvation is made known this way, not just through proclamation. Being with Yeshua had so many benefits. And that's the central thing. Being with him changed them. And this is at the core of Yeshua's way of making disciples, of forming community, of spending, expanding ministry. We have to spend time with Yeshua 
and then spend time with each other and then spend ourselves on behalf of others. All of this is part of Yeshua's together pattern. And that's why I'm calling uh, this morning's message Yeshua's together pattern. Spending time with them was an expression of Yeshua's love. And he loved these guys. He wanted them to learn to love each other. He wanted them to learn to love other people, even complete strangers. And it was a tough assignment because Yeshua's disciples were different. They weren't all the same. They spoke with different Hebrew accents. They had come from different economic and social backgrounds. They had different religious backgrounds. They had different political backgrounds. And they needed to learn to love each other using Yeshua's love for them as their pattern. It's good for us to remember that love is not just a feeling, love is an action verb. And they had to learn how to act with love towards each other and so that they could learn to act with love towards other people. The two great commands, you know what they are, of course, to love God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. You see, love is central to the mission. Love is the why, love is the what, and love is the how of our mission. Think of the scripture, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. This describes the victory of love, the victory of mercy. It's a central theme for us, and we will only learn it if we fix our eyes on Yeshua and take his pattern as our pattern. It will change us. Politicians can't teach us this, folks, and secularists can't teach us this. Good people can't teach us this. Why? Because they can only get parts of it right. Yeshua is the pattern. His love for his disciples, his love for us becomes our standard. It's not what can you get away with. It's not what is everybody else doing. It's not what is legal. That's not the standard. We have higher standards. We have the standards that were set by Yeshua himself. He came not only to be our kinsman redeemer, but he also came to be our perfect example and to love us in such a way that we could say, well, that's what love is. Ah, so the more time you spend with Yeshua and the more time you grasp how he loved and why he loved and when he loved others, the more you'll really understand the gospel of salvation that Yeshua brought to us. The victory over sin touches our love and our relationships. It's not just a religious thing, folks. It touches how we behave. It touches every area of our lives. It touches what we allow ourselves to say, how we allow ourselves to speak. And you know, the, the culture today loves to troll, loves to shame, loves to argue, loves to... Uh, beat down others. That was not Yeshua's way. He demonstrated a kind of leadership that lifted people up. It was powerful, much more powerful than these mockeries that we see today. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 30, 
verse 15, in order to uh, see another prophetic description of the heart of God. As, as we are on Shabbat Trumah, where God is calling Israel to make a sanctuary for him, uh, he's expressing what he's looking for. He's looking for people whose hearts are really stirred by him, who love him, and they want and they will do what he asks of them. But what helps us is to have a revelation of God's love towards us. And Isaiah 30 helps us get another window into God's love. We'll start on verse 15. Isaiah 30, 15. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, in repentance, in rest is your salvation, in quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. Oy, oy, oy. Does that not speak to all of us? This first part, repentance and rest is your salvation, in repentance. You see, if you want to enter into salvation from God, the door is repentance, and Yeshua is standing at the door so that we can understand that we've got to repent of ignoring him. We've got to repent of our sins. We've got to repent of our iniquities. We've got to repent of our hostility to God. We've got to repent of our own independence from God. We're, we're like the Frank Sinatra song, I did it my way. We like to do it our way. We like to go our own way. And that's part of our repentance is to turn from that in order to make God's priorities our priorities and to make his standards and his patterns our standards and our patterns in repentance and turning around and turn, turning towards him. That's what repentance means. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness, in trust, is your strength, but you would have none of it. Uh, that's so hard. Every one of us has to come to a place where we recognize what separates us from God. What's the wall that we have allowed to be built? What is it that needs to be overcome? And what is it about these things that separate us that we can't fix ourselves? How do we pay the right price? We can't do it on our own. What sacrifice could we bring? We can't bring an adequate sacrifice to cover our sin. Only God, through Yeshua, through his own sacrifice, can provide what we need to overcome the barrier, to get through the wall or over the wall or around the wall that separates us. Let's go to verse 18, which continues uh, with this important thing. Even though you'd have none of it, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. So this is a statement of contrast. There was a four-part recipe that was described here in repentance and rest is your salvation and quietness and trust is your strength, but you didn't want that. You didn't want to give yourself to that. That's what each of us has to come to terms with. And yet, in verse 18, yet, even so, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion because the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. O people in Zion who dwell in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. He will surely be gracious at the sound of your cry. When he hears, he will answer you. So what is in his heart? It's to be gracious, to show you compassion. For God so loved the world, the scripture says about the coming of Yeshua. 
God longs to be gracious. He's a God of justice, the prophet says. And I think that's very interesting because grace and compassion are not what everyone would associate with justice. Uh, going to court, going to the hall of justice, going in for a trial and standing before a judge, um, that's not where we think we're going to get grace and compassion. It gives us something to ponder about how we understand justice. You see, the justice of God is not vindictive. It's restorative. It's meant to bring healing to us. Oh, there will be punishment sometimes. Yes, just like a father will discipline his children because he loves them. And the punishment is never welcome, but it does bring a fruit. That kind of discipline brings fruit and allows us to develop some steadfastness of character. It, it's so important for us to grasp the love of God and the justice of God and how they work together perfectly. What is in God's heart? It's to be gracious to you. He's longing. He, he's waiting with strong desire and expectation. And what will he do? Isaiah says, he'll rise up and he'll show you compassion. He will be strong. He'll, he'll stand up and exert all of his strength. And this compassion that the Lord has causes him to take initiative, to be proactive towards you. I love what the Amidah says, Somech noflim cholim. Somech noflim. He, he lifts up the falling. He comes to those who have, who have fallen low and he bends down and then he picks them up, helps them get up and stands up straight with them and helps them rise up next to him with compassion. And he heals the sick. You see, the Lord is committed to using his strength and his power to restore those who are separated from him, and even those who want to be faithful to him, but find themselves falling short. But what are the conditions? Remember verse 15, repentance and rest, quietness and trust. When we open our hearts to repentance, and we quiet ourselves and trust in him, then we experience much of the grace and the compassion of God. Do you remember how the Lord spoke to Elijah? Um, it was through what is called the still small voice, or in Hebrew, the quiet voice of quietness. It wasn't through clamor. It wasn't through everything loud. It was through a quiet, quiet, quiet voice that the Lord spoke. When you're listening to the noise of the world around you and the clamor of the world and all the loud voices and people with their grievances and their attacks, when that's what you're hearing, you know what? You may grow deaf to that quiet voice. It's hard to hear the quiet voice unless you get to a quiet place. Yeshua went and spent a night in prayer by himself so that he could be in a quiet place in order to be fortified. What an example for us. Until we find time to be quiet and with the Lord, we won't hear that quiet voice of quietness. Isaiah says, wait for him, long for him, desire him. So what can each of us do? 
Here's something important. And I think it's very practical, especially for people who are going through hard times right now and facing disappointments or challenges or setbacks, or just finding themselves at wit's end or at the end of their personal strength. It says uh, in Isaiah, turn your cry to the Lord with rest and with trust and with confidence and with shalom, cry to him. But I want you to, to understand something. You can't just get your emotions peaceful all the time. There are times when you want to get a hold of your emotions, but they're all stirred up and you can't just fix it yourself. But this is what you can do. You can spend time with the Lord. And that time with the Lord will change you just like it changed the disciples. It will empower you. It will reorient you. When you're with someone who's calm, it can calm you down. When you're with people who simply multiply or amplify your anxiety, you'll be more anxious yourself. When you're with people who, who amplify your fears or your hatreds, or your sins. You, when you're with people, they will amplify what's in you. <clears throat> this is one of the reasons why it's so important to be with the Lord, because he will amplify what's in him into us. So sometimes what we need to do is we need to get to that place by ourselves. It may be in the middle of the night. It may be out in a forest. It may be on a canoe somewhere where we cry out to the Lord. And just don't just wilt under the heaviness of spirit that comes from being silent, because you will wilt, you will waste away. Open your mouth to him and tell him, talk to him, cry to him. And I think this part that I want to explain right now can be very useful. For, for many people. Don't confuse being anxious with crying to God. You can, you can be crying and not cry to the Lord. And don't confuse telling other people about your anxiety and your fears and your worries as if it were the same as talking to God. They're different. When you talk to other people, that's good. And when you are feeling things inside, you're getting in touch with what's going on inside of you, that's also good. But that is not crying to the Lord. Crying to the Lord requires directing our cry to him. It's not just an expression of our grievances to the Lord. We may, though, fully express our grief our sorrow, our difficulty, our emptiness, our uncertainty, the questions we have, all those things are part of our crying to the Lord. And when you talk to God, remember this, he hears you calling to him and he will answer you. So when you're talking, it's important to be prepared to listen to him. And in prayer, Remember this, it's, it's not when you tell him what to do, when to do it or how to do it. That's not crying to the Lord. That's just bossing the Lord around. Rather, it's when you express your heart with confidence and gratitude, confidence that he's there with you and he's listening to you, he's paying attention to you, and that he longs to be gracious to you and he wants to be with you. When you have that kind of confidence, you can express it 
with gratitude, and then you can listen to his direction. Now, with all this in mind, I think we can better understand this week's Torah portion and the central theme in Exodus 25. You can turn to verses one and two. We'll start there in this week's Parsha. The Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to take up a teruma offering. Teruma means an offering that was from the top, or it was like the first part of the best part. It's like the cream that's on top. Take the best and take it up from me. Accept it from anyone whose heart compels him or stirs him or who wholeheartedly wants to give. And then going down to verse 8, Exodus 25, verse 8, they are to make me a sanctuary so that I may live among them or so that I may dwell in their midst or I may live in their midst. Remember this, the Lord wants to dwell in our midst. Let's let him know that we love him and that our hearts and our spirits are stirred in these days, that we want to be with him. Let's open our hearts afresh to the Lord and take our eyes off of circumstances and situations and things of this world. I know many of you are really putting your heart into this direction, and you're saying to the Lord, Lord, I want to be different. I want to be a real disciple. I want to learn how to spend time with you. I want to be changed from the inside out. I don't want to just conform my behavior to a, to a bunch of rules that are external. I want my heart to be different. I know many of you are really serious before God, and you're saying, God, I want to be useful to you. And I know this, Lord, I need more of you, so I'm going to spend more time with you. I want to be more like you, so you will be my standard, not some other group or some other standard that's very popular these days. You'll be my standard. And I, I think, Mishpocha, that many are doing this. And each one of us, as we do this, you know what we discover? God gives grace and compassion. He gives us help. And he replaces us being all caught up in turmoil and worry. He replaces that with rest and quietness and calm for our souls. Even though the world around us is so noisy and filled with clamor, you know what? God will give you his shalom. He's made a covenant of peace with you. And Yeshua, we call the Prince of Peace because he's got authority over peace. He has peace under his control, and he can share his peace with you. Even when you're going through hard times, even when you're experiencing loss or the threat of loss or potential loss, even when you're in mourning, the Lord will be with you. And you can weep before the Lord. You can cry to him. Everything you're going through, you can talk to him about. He is the God of heaven and earth. Every dimension of your life, every sector of your life, every aspect of your life is important to him because you are important to him. And when we say to God, oh God, I love you so much. I want to be with you. And we take time to be with him. And we take time to be with others. And we learn to serve God together with others and to serve other people, even those that are so different from us. You know what? Then we become more and more like him. Let's pray right now. Oh God, we want to lift our hearts up to you. And we want to say to you, we want to be more like you. And we pray, Lord, 
that, that we would have through our fellowship with you, through abiding with you and abiding in your word and letting your word abide in us, that our hearts could be changed so that what we want could be based in what you want. We're praying, Lord, that we would become more and more like you and that we could do your bidding on this earth. Hineni, we say, here I am. Hineni, here we are. Lord, send us. Send me. Use me as your willing servant. Let this Shabbat Rumah, Lord, be a time where our hearts are really stirred to you and to all that's important to you. We pray this in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Thank you, Mishpacha, for praying in this direction. I, I hope this fortifies you and helps you um, face this challenging world, knowing God is with us and helping us as we turn our faces to him. Well, we're going to close now with Aaron's blessing, like we always do. But first, would you consider standing with us financially? If this live stream is a blessing to you, or if our Messianic Jewish podcast uh, is a blessing to you, or our sanctuary services are a blessing to you, would you consider blessing our ministry? All the information can be found on our webpage, bethisraelnow.com slash giving. And now I want to invite Rabbi Yuri and Rabbi Sanina on the screen. They're at synagogue and the sanctuary, not only leading worship, but they're also going to join us on screen. And we're going to close with Aaron's blessing. And I want to encourage you, Mishpocha, as we do this, I want to encourage you to receive this blessing. So Rabbi Yuri, would you lead us in this blessing? Yes, thank you, Rabbi David. Um, um, may I do in Russian or what this? Sure, Russian. Everything you want. Yeah. Yeah, let's pray. You know, Russian is holy language, so we will. Oh, man, <laughs> you're sure. <laughs> <laughs> so let's pray. Да благослови тебя, Господь, и сохрани тебя. Да презрит на тебя Господь светлым лицом своим и помилует тебя. Да обратит Господь лицо свое на тебя и даст тебе мир. Амин. Амин. In Hebrew, Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha, Ya'er Adonai p'navelecha v'yichunecha, Yisa Adonai p'navelecha v'yasem lecha shalom. And in English, may the Lord bless you, may the Lord keep you, may the Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. And we can all say, Amen. So from Sandy and me, from the Korshans, we say Shabbat Shalom. And we're just so glad you could join us today. Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Shabbat Shalom.